Section 8 of The Quest of the Golden Girl by Richard Le Gallienne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by William Jones, Bonita Springs, Florida. Comprised of Book 2, Chapters 10 through 12. Quest of the Golden Girl. Book 2, Chapter 10. How One Makes Love at Thirty. My sleeplessness while Nicole slept had not been all ecstasy, for I had come to a bitter resolution. And the next morning, when we were once more on our way, I took a favorable opportunity of conveying it to Nicolette. Nicolette, I said as we rested a while by the roadside, I have something serious to say to you. Yes, dear? she said, looking rather frightened. Well, dear, it is this. Our love must end with our holiday. No good can come of it. But, oh, why? I love you. Yes, and I love you. Love you as I never thought I could love again. Yet I know it is all a dangerous dream, a trick of our brains, an illusion of our tastes. But, oh, why? I love you. Yes, you do today, I know, but it couldn't last. I believe I could love you forever, but even so it wouldn't be right. You couldn't go on loving me. I am too old, too tired, too disillusioned, perhaps too selfish. I will love you always, said the girl Nicolette. Whereas you, I continued, disregarding the lovely refrain of her tear-choked voice, are standing on the wonderful threshold of life, waiting in dreamland for the dawn. And it will come, and with it the fairy prince, with whom you shall wander hand in hand through all its fairy rose gardens. But I, dear Nicolette, I am not he. Nicolette did not speak. I know, I continued, pressing her hand, that I may seem young enough to talk like this, but some of us get through life quicker than others, and when we say, it is done, it is no use for onlookers to say, why, it is just beginning. Believe me, Nicolette, I am not fit husband for you. Then I shall take no other, said Nicolette with a set face. Oh, yes, you will, I rejoined. Let but a month or two pass, and you'll see how wise I was after all. Besides, there are other reasons of which there is no need to speak. What reasons? Well, I said, half laughing, there is the danger that, after all, we mightn't agree. There is nothing so perilously difficult as the daily intercourse of two people who love each other. You are too young to realize its danger, and I couldn't bear to see our love worn away by the daily dropping of tears, not to speak of its being rent by the dynamite of daily quarrels. We know each other's tastes, but we know hardly anything of each other's natures. Nicolette looked at me strangely. 
troth it was a strange way to make love i knew and what else she asked somewhat coldly well then though it's not a thing one cares to speak of i'm a poor man nicolette broke through my sentence with a scornful exclamation Psh! you i continued straight on well you have been accustomed to a certain spaciousness and luxury of life this it would be out of my power to continue for you these are real reasons very real reasons dear nicolette though you may not think so now the law of the world in these matters is very right for the rich and the poor to marry is to risk terribly risk the very thing they would marry for their love love is better and unmarried than a married regret nicolette was silent again think of your little woodland chalet and your great old trees in the park you couldn't live without them i have at most but one tree worth speaking of to offer you i purposely waived the glamour which my old garden had for my mind and which i wouldn't have exchanged for fifty parks trees retorted nicolette what are trees ah my dear girl they are a good deal particularly when they are genealogical as my one tree is not oh cousin she said suddenly almost fiercely can you really jest tell me this do you love me i love you i said simply and it is just because i love you so much that i have talked as i have done no man situated as i am who loved you could have talked otherwise well i have heard it all weighed it all said nicolette presently and to me it is but as thistledown against the love within my heart will you cast away a woman who loves you for theories you know you love me know i love you we should have our trials our ups and downs i know but surely it is by those that true love learns how to grow more true and strong oh i cannot argue tell me again do you love me and there she broke down and fell sobbing into my arms i consoled her as best i might and presently she looked up at me through her tears tell me again she said that you love me just as you did yesterday and promise never to speak of all those cruel things again ah uh, have you thought of the kind of men you would give me up to at that i confess i shuddered and i gave her the required assurance and you won't be wise and reasonable and ridiculous any more no i answered adding in my mind not at all events for the present end of book two chapter ten book two chapter eleven how one plays the hero at thirty had we only been able to see a day into the future we might have spared ourselves this agonizing 
for all our doubts and fears were suddenly dispersed in an entirely unexpected manner. Happily, these interior problems are not infrequently resolved by quite exterior forces. We were sitting the following afternoon in one of those broad bay windows such as one finds still in some old country inns, just thinking about starting once more on our way, when suddenly Nicolette, who had been gazing out idly into the road, gave a little cry. I followed her glance. A carriage with arms on its panels had stopped at the inn, and a smart footman opened the door. A fine gray-haired, military-looking man stepped out and strode hurriedly up the inn steps. "'Oh, cousin!' gasped Nicolette. "'It is my father!' It was too true. The old man's keen eye had caught sight of Nicolette at the window also, and in another moment we were all three face to face. I must do the Major-General the justice of saying that he made as little of a scene of it as possible. "'Now, my dear girl,' he said, "'I have come to put an end to this nonsense. Have you a petticoat with you? Well, go upstairs and get it on. I will wait for you here.' on you sir i shall waste no words from what i have heard you are as moonstruck as my daughter uh, of of course i stammered i cannot expect you to understand the situation though i think if you would allow me i could in a very few words make it somewhat clearer make you realize that after all it has been a very innocent and childish escapade in which there has been no harm and a great deal of pleasure. But the Major-General cut me short. "'I should prefer,' he said, "'not to discuss the matter. I may say that I realize that my daughter has been safe in your hands, however foolish. For this I thanked him with a bow. But I must add that your eccentric acquaintance must end here.' I said him neither yea nor nay, and while we stood in armed and embarrassed silence, Nicolette appeared with a white face at the door, clothed in her emergency petticoat. Alas, it was for no such emergency as this that it had been destined that merry night when she had packed it in her knapsack. With a stern bow her father turned from me to join her. But she suddenly slipped past him, threw her arms round me, and kissed me one long, passionate kiss. "'Our cousin, be true,' she cried. "'I will never forget you. No one shall come between us.' And then, bursting into tears, she buried her face in her hands and followed her father from the room. In another moment she had been driven away and I sat as one stupefied in the inn window. But a few minutes ago she had been sitting merrily prattling by my side, and now I was once more as lonely as if we had never met. Presently I became conscious in my reverie of a little crumpled piece of paper on the floor. I picked it up. It was a little note penciled in her bedroom at the last moment. Alcazan, it ran, just like her last passionate words, "'Be true. I will never forget you. 
stay here till i write to you and oh write to me soon your broken-hearted nicolette as i read i saw her lovely young face radiant with love and sorrow as i had last seen it and pressing the precious little letter to my lips i said fervently yes nicolette i will be true end of book two chapter eleven book two chapter twelve in which i review my actions and renew my resolutions no doubt the youthful reader will have but a poor opinion of me after the last two chapters he will think that in a scene with the major-general i acted with lamentably little spirit and that generally my friend alastor would have proved infinitely more worthy of the situation it is quite true i confess it the whole episode was made for alastor nicolette and he were born for each other alas it is one of the many drawbacks of experience that it frequently prevents our behaving with spirit i must be content to appeal to the wiser and therefore sadder reader of whom i have but a poor opinion if he too fails to understand me he i think will understand why i didn't promptly assault the major-general seize nicolette by the waist thrust her into her ancestral carriage haul the coachman from his box and seizing the reins drive away in triumph before astonishment had time to change into pursuit truly it had been but the work of a moment and there was only one consideration which prevented my following this now i call that heroic course it is a consideration i dare hardly venture to write and the confession of which will i know necessitate my changing my age back again to thirty on the instant oh be merciful dear romantic reader i didn't strike the major-general because oh because i agreed with him i loved nicolette you must have felt that she was so sweet to me as the bunch of white flowers that in their frail venetian vase stand so daintily on my old bureau as i write doing their best to sweeten my thoughts dear was she to me as the birds that out in the old garden yonder sing and sing their best to lift up my leaden heart she was dear as the spring itself she was only less dear than autumn yes black confession after the first passion of her loss the immediate ache of her young beauty had passed and i was able to analyze what i really felt i not only agreed with him i thanked god for the major-general he had saved me from playing the terrible part of executioner he had just come in time to behead the lady jane grey of our dreams i should have no qualms about tightening the rope around the neck of some human monster or sticking a neat dagger or bullet into a dangerous treacherous foe but to kill a dream is a sickening business it goes on moaning in such a heart-breaking fashion and you never know when it is dead all on a sudden some night it will come wailing in the wind outside your window and you must blacken your heart 
and harden your face with another strangling grip of its slim appealing throat another blow upon its angel eyes even then it will recover and you will go on being a murderer making for yourself day by day a murderer's face without the satisfaction of having really murdered but what of nicolette do you exclaim have you no thought for her bleeding her heart away in solitude can you so soon forget those appealing eyes yes i have thought for her would god that i could bear for her those growing pains of the heart and i shall never forget those farewell eyes but then you see i had firmly realized this that she would sooner recover from our separation than from our marriage that her love for me pretty and poignant and dramatic while it lasted was a book-born book-fed dream which must die soon or late the sooner the better for the peace of the dreams that in the course of nature would soon spring up to take its place but while i realized all this and with a veritable aching of the heart at the loss of her felt a curious satisfaction at the turn of events still my own psychology became all the more a puzzle to me and i asked myself with some impatience what i would be at and what it was i really wanted here i had but a few moments ago been holding in my hands the very dream i had set out to find and here was i secretly rejoicing to be robbed of it if nicolette did not fulfil the conditions of that mystical golden girl in professed search for whom i had set out that spring morning well the good genius of my pilgrimage felt it time to resign better give it up at once and go back to my books and my bachelorhood if i were so difficult to please no wonder my kind of providence felt provoked it had provided me with the sweetest pink and porcelain dream of a girl and might reasonably have concluded that his labours on my behalf were at an end but really there is no need to lecture me upon the charms and virtues of nicolette for i love them from the first moment of our strange introduction and i dream of them still there was indeed only one quality of womanhood in which she was lacking and in which after much serious self-examination i discovered the reason of my instinctive self-sacrifice of her she had never suffered as my heart had warned me at the beginning she was hoping too much from life to spend one days with she lacked the subtle half-tones of experience she lacked all that a pretty wrinkle or two might have given there was no shadowy melancholy in her sky-clear eyes she was gay indeed and had a certain childish humour but she had none of that humour which comes of the resigned perception that the world is out of joint and that you were never born to set it right these characteristics i had yet to find in woman there was still therefore 
an object to my quest. Indeed, my experience had provided me with a formula. I was in search of a woman who, in addition to every other feminine charm and virtue, was a woman who had suffered. With this prayer, I turned once more to the genius of my pilgrimage. Grant me, I asked, but this, a woman who has suffered. And apparently, as a consequence, he became more and more quite genial. He seemed to mean that a prayer so easy to grant would put any god into a good temper. And possibly he smiled with a deeper meaning, too. End of Book Two, Chapter Twelve. End of Section Eight. End of Section Eight.